name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That was a great song, you guys. Thank you for leading us in that. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm reiterating what Ken has already said. Help us to be responsible and get out there and vote. Uh, it's a big deal. We, we have it good in Canada. We're kind of spoiled. Sometimes we sit back and we, uh, we're uh, on the waves of many people that have given their lives for our freedom. So, Lord, help us to get up and get out there. Help us to be well-read and well-studied. Help us to be guided by the Holy Spirit and by values and all that stuff. And, uh, Lord, we want to make a difference. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that even if, uh, the government, whoever gets in, Lord, even if they do bow their knee or do not, we pray that at the end of the day you are guiding them whether they give you glory or not. So, Lord, uh, help us as a nation. Help our neighbors, the U.S., help them as a nation. Boy, we need you. The times are, times are tough and a lot of peril, like a lot of stuff negative on the news. And Lord, we just want to make a difference as your people. You've called us to this place. You've called us and you've shoved us here on this earth. We don't belong here. We have heavenly citizenship. But Lord, we want to know how to make a difference in sports, in our schools, in our jobs, in our nation, in our, in our province. So, Lord, empower us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the, the, the uh, title of the sermon today, and action. That's what it's supposed to say. So, you see it written down there, but you can't really read it the way I can say it, right? So, and action. So, this is one thing that uh, has been messed with over the years, because either as Christians, sometimes we have no action, we have great theology, and we have great doctrine, but we just sit there and don't do anything about it. And then we've also seen the pendulum swing in some churches where they get so sick of great doctrine and great theology that they just go out there and do all sorts of action and they forget why they're doing the action in the first place. So it, that's called the social gospel. So somehow here today, I want to encourage us once again to have a live, active, dynamic TNT kind of faith that other people can see at work in your lives. So it's got to be an intrinsic kind of faith that makes difference inside of you, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, dot, 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 but also works its way out so that other people can go, whoa, there's something different about this person. So I want to start with an um, uh, illustration that I read a long time ago about Alexander the Great. He, he came to a fortified city with a, uh, with a fortified wall, and he only had a small company of soldiers with him. So there he was standing outside the walls and he yelled over, raised his voice and demanded to see the king, used an imperative. When the king finally arrived, he insisted that the king surrender the city and its inhabitants right now. And the king laughed because he looked at Alexander and his small company. He's going, are you kidding me? Why would we do that? And he kind of scoffed him and what harm could you do to us with that small company of men? 
But Alexander offered to give the king a demonstration. So what he did is he ordered the men to line up in single file, and he started marching. And on they marched, and he marched them straight toward a sheer cliff. All the townspeople gathered around thinking, this guy's nuts. And they looked over, and they watched in shock, in silence, as one by one, Alexander's soldiers marched off the cliff without hesitation, right to their deaths. After 10 soldiers died, Alexander ordered the rest of the men to return to his side. The townspeople and the king immediately surrendered to Alexander the Great. They realized that if a few men were actually willing to commit suicide at the command of this dynamic leader, then nothing could stop his eventual victory. Their faith in this man led to action. So today, you know where I'm going with this. Does our faith in Jesus Christ lead us to action? Does it make a difference in your life? So turn with me to James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2, starting at verses 14 to 26. You know I'm a fan of grabbing your Bibles, so please do that. Uh, James chapter 2, starting at verse 14 all the way to verse 26. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Well... Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and, and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, you know, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Well, wow, great, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man, you foolish woman, do you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Some juicy stuff in there. Especially lots of us absolutely love the book of Romans. So we're going, how can Romans and James be in the same Bible when, when Romans seems to be nailing that we're you know, justified by faith? And here James now is really pushing works. But I think they're very complimentary. So let me read from another version that might bring some clarity. And this is what it says. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this life if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely, merely talking about faith indicate that the person really has it? For instance, you came upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, well, good morning, friend. Be clothed, and, uh, be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? 
Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department and I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something so wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Come on, use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse in your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by his works? When he placed his son Isaac on a sacrificial altar, isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are the works of faith? The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that God, Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? The same is with Rahab, Rahab the harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing? What counted, what counted with God? I gotta say that again. I said that all wrong. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing a corpse. A corpse. So today I want us to kind of see here that faith with no action is really a dead faith. Somehow faith has got to make its way out. And I think it does in two areas. I want to look a little bit more at the action part of it. But in two areas, especially in that there's going to be something, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, something's happening inside you. You will change. But also that change will become evident in how you interact with people. Faith or belief with no action is dead. It would be like me taking a $20 bill, which I forgot downstairs, but taking a nice crisp $20 bill and pasting it to the wall here and looking at my nice $20 bill and just leaving it there. It does nothing. I can't use it. I haven't invested it. If it's sitting there on the wall, I can't even buy anything. I've got to do something with that $20 bill. If it's just pasted to the wall, it's useless. Faith that is barren and not is not saving faith. The Greek word translated dead in James 2 verse 20 carries the meaning of barren or idle or actually like money drawing no interest. So faith in Christ with no action is like a faith that draws no interest. You have not invested. You have not invested. Wearsby says that dead faith is not saving faith. Dead faith is counterfeit faith and lulls the person into a false confidence of eternal life. Another take on this is that you can have a, a faith without works, but how, how sad. We know that the book of James was written to believers. Therefore, we know that he's actually addressing believers with faith and believers with faith and works. So he's not throwing this out there to everybody. He's talking to church people. And he's saying it's nuts that you think you could just have faith and nobody can tell. How sad is it to have faith without evidence? 
I think we're sometimes tempted, like I gave a little foreshadow before, I think we're tempted sometimes to, th- to think that right thinking and right theology is much more important than action. But when you study James, you realize that if you have no action to your faith, th- then do not, you do not have right thinking or right theology. Because if you have right thinking and right theology, it will show itself in right action. Make sense? So Richardson, uh, just a guy that's smarter than me, says, James' reference to demonic faith is sobering. Because isn't it interesting here within this James chapter 2, in these verses we just said, he says, he goes on to commend them about their faith, but he says, you believe in one God? Well, fantastic. So do the demons. And they shudder. So if we just say, yeah, I believe God, but there's absolutely no difference, no evidence, no fruit of the Spirit, no action, he's just like, James is being honest He's one of those redneck guys that says, get her done. He wears that kind of hat. And here he's saying, if, if nobody can tell, if there's been no change in your life, really? Even demons believe in one God. And they at least shudder. They shudder. Richardson says, his reference to demonic faith is really sobering. The demons also have a monotheistic belief. So they believe in one God. They know of the reality of God, but they are still malevolent. Many believe that which is true about the deity, but orthodoxy may have no effect on the evil activities of their lives. The only effect on the demons is that they actually shudder at the thought of God's existence and his power over them. Believers should do uh, much more than just shuddering, just as they should be doing more than merely professing belief. So think about that for a second. Even the demons believe God and they shudder. But some of us have kind of lost that. In fact, I was just reading a, or I was watching some leadership videos lately. And one of the very things that this one leadership guru was saying, he says, I think one of the things that we have lost in our transferring leadership to the younger generation is the word honor. He says, I think we have become a, a, a generation that thinks they deserve everything. And part of that has come because we have lost the art of honor. And I have to probably nod my head at what he's thinking there. Because when you think about it, we have often lost our honor for our older parents. We just shove them in a home somewhere. We've lost the honor of an older pastor that's been there, done that. We've lost the honor of people that are older than us in business. And we need to learn and be mentored from them. And I think we've lost our honor to God. He's also in our homeboy. Jesus, our homeboy, the big man in the sky. All sorts of weird things that I've heard. And I'm going, what? I think we've been dumbed down and we've lost honor. We've lost honor. The demons believe in this one God. So in a sense, they had, in a sense, quote unquote, because this is being recorded, <laughs> uh, In a sense, they have right theology in the way that there is one God and they shudder. And I think sometimes we don't shudder because we have really dumbed down our view of God. Dynamic faith is what I want to chat about. It's interesting because in Matthew 28, which we talked about last week, that we're supposed to be making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, commercial break, we're having a baptism going on at the beginning of this next month. So we're getting the water ready. We're going to even warm it up for you. So if you haven't been baptized, come on, let's get going. Okay, that's a free commercial break right there. 
So be baptized, and we're having one soon. So come talk to me after the service. So in Matthew 28, he says, don't make converts. Don't make people just kind of believe in Jesus. You actually make disciples. And we start that initiation process through baptism and then helping people live out their faith. What does that mean? What does that mean? And Eugene Peterson comments on Matthew 28 when there's this discovery of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's, he died on the cross, he was buried, now he rose again, and now he's looking to Matthew 28 with the resurrection. And he says, I love the contrast between those Roman guards. Remember the Roman guards that were paid off to lie about it? That they fell asleep and then the disciples came and they stole the body? So we know that lie. Well, he says, I love the contrast between the Roman guards, insensible and sprawled out on the ground, paralyzed by fear. And then the two exuberant women kneeling on the same ground, energized by fear. So the guards were paralyzed by fear. The women were energized by fear on the same ground. It's the same word in both cases, fear. Fear. But it's not the same thing. There is a fear that incapacitates us for dealing with God. And then there is a fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, with our selfishness, and with our feelings, or our circumstances into the world of wonder. It pulls us out of ourselves into the very action of God. I love that. The two contrasting groups of people met with the same, on the same ground with the same fear. Some of them were just shuddered and paralyzed and the other, the ladies, all of a sudden became great evangelists and ran and told others about Jesus Christ rising from the grave. Now James goes on to illustrate faith and action by describing the faith and action of a person with a Jewish background. He's obviously needs to use both the Jewish people he's talking to and also the non-Jewish people. So here he's giving a background of faith and action with somebody with that background. And that's Abraham in verse 21. The word counted, it was counted to him as righteousness. It's actually a legal or a financial term. So he is counted, um, he's been counted as righteousness. So it's been put to one's account. So it's like when I have zero in my account, the Lord Jesus comes and he actually makes a deposit. So now I actually have something to work with. That's what's happened with Abraham. He did nothing glorious, but God has given him credit onto his account. As a sinner, Abraham's spiritual bank book looked like yours and mine. Empty. Empty. And we've got to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages, so if you want to get paid for your fantastic works, well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here we see it again. We see God in his generosity and his gracious spirit accrediting Abraham, and he does, and he offers the same to us, but it's a gift, not something that can be worked for. So Abraham, he trusted God, and God put righteousness on Abraham's account. Abraham did not work for his righteousness. He received it as a gift from God. He was declared righteous by faith. He was justified by faith. And in Romans 4, we make, it makes that very clear. You can check that out at home. And James points out to another event in Abraham's life, an event that took place many years after Abraham's conversion. So the word after is very important here. So already he came to know who God is. He came to a friendship with God. And after that, Abraham continued to show 
his faith by his actions. And that event took place in Genesis chapter 22. Remember when they finally had a baby and he was so pumped and God made this promise that he would bless him more than the stars of the sky. And then all of a sudden he's supposed to take his beloved son, walk him up the hill and sacrifice him there on the altar. That would be an awkward request. And here that's what happened to him. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham was not saved by obeying God's difficult command. He didn't actually bring him up to the mountain and sacrifice them there. And then God said, finally there, yes, now you can have a friendship with me. He already was justified and he showed his works by obeying God. And even though he wasn't quite sure how this was going to work out, by faith, he walked up that long hill with his little chattering son carrying the wood and asking all the right questions. Where's the sacrifice, God? Or where's the sacrifice, dad? Boy, that's an awkward question, isn't it? James 2, verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. A perfect relationship between faith and action. Somebody has expressed it. Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but a faith that works. Abraham. But then, and again, this points to me toward the validity of Scripture, God includes this very messy person, Rahab, in this passage. Rahab is somebody that you just really don't want to talk about at family devotion times with your grade four kid. What did Rahab do, Mama? You know, she was a woman of reputation. What does that mean, Mom? (laughs) Let's move on. Nonetheless, in the second illustration Rahab the background for her is found in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6 Israel was about to invade their promised land God had promised it to them and take the city of Jericho Joshua sent spies into the city to get the lay of the land there they met Rahab a harlot who protected them and affirmed that she believed in what God had said and what was God what God was going to do so here she heard Even though she was a harlot, she heard what was going to happen. She heard the judgment that was going to come upon her city, and she believed God. And it showed in she hid the spies so that the people of the city could not find these spies. So interesting. Her life wasn't all together yet. Not everything was tickety-boo in a row. She was still messed up. She apparently was still a harlot because that's what she was called. But yet, when she heard, she responded and she acted. I bet you if she had a watering hole somewhere, she would have been baptized. (laughs) There's just another little (laughs) plug. Little plug. There they met Rahab the harlot who protected him and affirmed that she believed in what God had said and that what what God was going to do. The men departed. They promised to save her and her family when the city was taken. And they did. A really exciting story. She heard the word and she knew that her city was condemned. This truth affected her and her fellow citizens. And in Joshua 2 verse 11, we see that all of the people, their hearts melted within them. So they responded. Rahab responded with her mind and her emotions, but also responded with her will. She did something about this new belief in her heart. 
She risked her own life to protect the Jewish spies, and she further risked her um, life by sharing the good news of deliverance with the members of her family. So how can we act? There's so much juicy information here, but we got limited time. So how can we act? So it's interesting that this actually fell right before voting Monday. So here we are talking about faith in action. So obviously, the first action I'm going to call you and tell you, give you an imperative or almost a command to do, is get out there and vote tomorrow, please. It's a big deal that we show our faith in action by not just bellyaching about what's wrong with Canada, but let's be a part of the solution. Yeah? But more than that here, in Proverbs 31, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I look at this because one of the ways I think we sometimes look at James and we don't know exactly know how to show our actions when we have this faith. Sometimes you come to church and the preacher can just talk about showing action, but we're sitting here without ideas. How can we show action? We can give you a long list. You can get involved here at church, do all sorts of stuff. But I just wanted to pull out some stuff, even when it comes to social justice and sometimes ways that we can get involved to make a difference, not a social gospel, but more because of our love for Jesus Christ. How can that spill out onto a hurting world that needs Jesus? Some of this uh, information that I have for you today is dated, but it's pretty hard to find stuff that was just made and and, uh, pulled yesterday. So here's some of the stuff. When it comes to abortion in Canada, there's about 31 abortions per 100 live births in Canada. Roughly 330,000 live births and 100 abortions each year. About half of the abortions are performed in hospitals, half in clinics. Does that bother you? In 2003, 103,768 abortions were recorded in Canada. That's in 2003. About 15.2 uh, per thousand women. The, the number appears to be declining by about 1% per year, praise the Lord. There's about 39,000 abortions each year in Ontario, delivered in six, 76 hospitals and six clinics. An exception is Quebec, where abortion rates are among the highest in the Western world. From 17,000 abortions per annum in 1978, they rose to 29,000 in 1998, and 31,000 in 2002, or a rate of 38 per 100 births. So I'm not just going to pick on abortion, so don't get me wrong. And in fact, I have good friends that have been a part uh, of an abortion. And also I've been with somebody who actually was given the advice by a pastor to have an abortion. And I boldly looked at her and I said, he will pay for that because that was wrong. In his, in his um, uh, relationship of authority to say that from the word of God, that you can take out a life just to hide your shame or hide that you made. I'm just, Wow. But the point of these stats is not for us to go, wow, I can't believe it. The point of it is, how can we get involved in part of the solution when our faith has action? One of the ways we do it as a corporate body is we support the, I forget what they call it now, pregnancy options, that's what it is, pregnancy options. And that's part of working with ladies that are pregnant and hoping to help them see hope. Uh, hopefully they'll have the baby. If they keep the baby, we'll actually help them take care of the baby. But if not, they can put the baby up for adoption. And what I really respect is that if they do go have an abortion, which they don't have at this clinic, but if they do, this place also offers 
post-abortion counseling, which I think is pretty cool. You want to keep that bridge. Help folks. The U.S. spends $50 million against human trafficking. You heard that, $50 million against human trafficking. This is 2003. Did you know that for a while, I'm not sure if it still is, but Calgary is one of the hotbeds of child um, trafficking? Calgary? Blew my mind. 800,000 people trafficked across international borders each year. A huge percentage of all victims of human trafficking are children. We tend to think that slavery is a thing of the past, but sadly, it's a booming industry. In fact, you have a lot of people get up in arms when we have Olympics and stuff like that. Because when Olympics come or big uh, shows like that, there's a whole lot more illegal immigrants and stuff that come in for the purpose of prostitution. Moving on here, according to the 2005-2006 transition home survey, admissions of women and children into Canada's sh uh, shelters for abused women totaled about 106,000 from April 1, 2005 to March 31 of 2006. 106,000. Annual operating costs for shelters total approximately $317 million in 2005-2006. Aren't these mind-blowing <laughs> amount of money we're talking about here? Canada's homeless population is somewhere between 200 and 300,000 people, while another 1.7 million residents struggle with housing affordability issues, says an, an analysis of the latest research on shelter. And that's the latest research we're talking 2009. I think it's worse now when it comes to affordability, especially here in Vancouver area. At least 200,000 Canadians experience homelessness in any given year. Uh, at least 150,000 Canadians a year use a homeless shelter at some point. At least 30,000 Canadians are homeless on any given night. At least 50,000 Canadians are part of a hidden homelessness on any given night, staying with friends or relatives or, or on a temporary basis as they have nowhere else to go. How about our foster system? Can we get involved with our foster system? There's lots of kids that need good uh, influences and adults and caring uh, mentors. Is there a way to help young people uh, with, uh, sorry, is there, is, there, is there a way to help young couples with kids afford to go on a date? Many of our young people, they can't afford to get out and work on their marriage because it's just so expensive to live here. Is there a way that we can volunteer in this area? In fact, today is the Great Pumpkin Walk. Are some of us missing because we're at there, because we're being an influence, our faith in action, being a part of something like that? Can we build a house for a family in Vicente Guerrero, Mexico? That's coming up, by the way. Can we drive somebody to a cancer clinic? Can we pay for a kid to go on a retreat? Do we go out and make a difference at the polls and vote? All in the name of Jesus. So I could sit here for a long time, right? But the point of today the message that we see here is the beautiful faith that Christ has given us. Here, we don't just sit there and wonder what it's doing in our lives. It, it bubbles within us, the, the fruit of the Spirit. We continue to grow in that. And it doesn't just say that. That spills out onto our communities. It should spill out onto our friendships. It should spill out into our, our cities, into our province, into our nation. It should spill out into the things that we're a part of. It should spill out into the things that we're a part of. Lastly, and very, very real for us in our congregation here, how about the injustices to our elderly? This is huge and it was mind-boggling for me. 
In fact, in good old Altona, you know Altona? Good old Mennonite, you know, Mecca there. I heard one time where uh, a little lady, she was kind of starting to lose her mind with dementia, but she had this money from her, her, uh, her uh, husband passing away, so she bought a new garden tractor. At least she bought a John Deere, brand new garden tractor. So that's fantastic, right? But wouldn't you know it, the, the next week she was back and she wanted to buy another one. So at that point, the salesman has got to either make some dough and rub his hands and go, <laughs> can you believe this? Or understand that what is this old lady doing with two sweet green John Deere garden tractors? I've heard it and we've been a part of it. In fact, it's even been part of a church discipline system here at our church where some of our older folks have been almost taken advantage of and we have stepped in. That is faith in action. In fact, uh, Ken and I, we were just part of a benevolent meeting. All the churches or a lot of the churches in our community are starting to get together when it comes to benevolent because we have lots of people that really need help uh, not just from the government, but from real people, real relationships. But what is sometimes happening is we have folks that are knocking on our door and then they go over to Peace Portal and then they go over to the village and then they go over to White Rock Baptist. So we're trying to get together as a bunch of uh, churches in our community and figure out how we can best help our community. And, and I love some of the teamwork that's happening because there's sources out, there's a tira, there's different kinds of things in our community. So we're actually working within our community, even in the secular system, on helping folks in our community, not just helping them, but helping them in the name of Christ. So my conclusion today is conclusionless. I'm going to leave it to you. I'm going to give just a, a moment or two of silence, and I want you to ask that question. Um, Instead of a belly aching here, I want us to know and consider how is the gospel of Jesus Christ affecting us today? How is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith that you have in this living God, how is it changing the way you act and pushing you into action? So let's take a moment to think. How can you, how can I show my faith this week? What action can I be a part of this week? Let's bow our heads. Is there a situation in your family that needs attention? Is there a little old lady down the road that needs her lawn mowed? Is there a young, desperate, pregnant girl that looks hopeless and wondering what, how she's going to feed this little mouth? Is there boys without dads on your baseball team? Heavenly Father, you have called us to this place. You've called us to our communities, to our families. You've called us to this province. You've called us to this nation. And uh, we don't want to sit here comfortable. We want, Lord, 
for people to understand that the Christian faith is also a faith of action, that you've done a marvelous work within us and we just can't help it, but we respond because of what you've done in our lives. We respond by helping and serving others in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that honor and thank you for that privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Everything that you say you are.